0: Welcome to this week's uh, lecture on the uh, serious security seminar. Uh, we are happy to have uh, Rita Foster from uh, Idaho National Laborator- Laboratory uh, um, give a talk. Uh, uh, Rita is a research leader in uh, control systems cyber security um, and has briefed numerous US Congress committees. Uh, she currently leads the innovation development for the infrastructure security areas, including uh, work in uh, uh, cyber physical systems, Uh, She has over 18 years of experience at INL uh, in cybersecurity of critical infrastructure and a very impressive record of of, uh, advising interns at all stages of of their uh, career, Uh, Rita, the floor is yours. Thank you, Um, I'm really happy to be here today. I hope uh, you guys are having fun. I hope you have a nice, you know, beverage or something to relax and kind of concentrate on what we're gonna be talking about. Um, I have been to West Lafayette, so I'm familiar with some of that area, so I'm very happy to be um, presenting here at this point. We do a lot of activities here, like uh, like was said in my bio that, you know, I've, I've been here at the Idaho National Lab for 33 years and I feel like I've never had the same job for, you know, a long time. It's a great place if you're curious. If you always want to learn the new areas, um, I have some great team members that are that come up with some of these concepts, and my job is to write those proposals, get those partnerships, make the you know the cost shares that can run up to a couple of million dollars for some of these larger efforts, and get some of this technology into prototype. And now I'm working on getting a lot of these technologies into more of an operational concept. Um, so it's been really exciting this last part of. Uh, uh, my research areas are going there, are happening. Things that are common in these research areas is we're using lots of graph, graph theoretics, graph databases, graph math. That's the, that's what enables all this stuff to work, um, helps with our visualization, with our data. The other area that's common in here is we're using a lot of machine learning and advanced machine learning techniques to understand what this data is doing. So I have two big test corpus of data that we do this work on. One is structured threat. We use the structured threat information expression, Inter- open international standard. The other is reverse-engineered binaries. Uh, we translate them into an intermediate representation, put them in graph structures, do a bunch of machine learnings for similarity analysis. You're going to see both of those and how the data comes together to help make better defenses. Um, so here on my front page, there's this crazy graphic. That's the trisis malware. We did that long time ago, probably about 2019, um, when we were first building these reverse engineering at scale products. And then over here, you're seeing some structured threat that's visualized inside another graph database in an open source tool called STIG, Structured Threat Intelligence Graph. And both of these data sets we use, and we really adhere to a bunch of machine learning pillars. Uh, We're not doing the large language models. Our data is very well curated. Um, very well-contained, very well-managed. Yes, we put crazy data in there, so we're not overtrained. trained but um, fascinating stuff, and using those machine learning pillars allows, allows us to get to that explainable and trustworthy areas in machine learning. So with that, here's our first data set. It's, again, structured threat information expression. Um, I don't know if you guys can do a show of hands or anything, but has anybody ever used this before or worked in that space? It was developed quite a while ago, but it's a very active standard. It keeps changing. So I had a project that was called GeoThreat Observables. And what we did is we collected a bunch of cyber threat that's out there, open source, and we refined it. We had interns refine it for us. And we were able to create over 6,000 bundles of structured threat that mainly impact critical infrastructure, mainly the electric grid. This is the dark side analysis. This is the visualization side of the STIG application. But underneath here is all JSON code, all codified. The relationships are codified, the edges. Um, It all has value, and it all has worth. And with this, we were able to do a lot of automated response type of capabilities um, that we worked on as well. Um, There's the GitHub for it. And here's the standard for STIGs, in case you're not familiar. But on top of the. Well curated data. We also collected twenty over twenty years of vulnerability data from the National Vulnerability Database, and then we connected it to the MITRE attack patterns. There's different types of matter MITRE attack patterns. Some of them, the common attack pattern enumeration and classification, that's more for software code. If there's an attack pattern that's hitting certain software types, um, as compared to the other attack patterns, are more like here's an implementation problem, you configured this wrong, you know, some some really basic. Um, cyber issues with that. We've also connected it with DHS's known exploited vulnerabilities, and we're soon going to connect it to the defend, which is more of like a general course of action or mitigation area. And what's so valuable about this data set, we're using it on all our projects now, is that again, it's in graph and everything else and the power of graph is you just do a graph traversal and you get the data. So really powerful. We're really happy with these type of capabilities. So with that type of background data, STICS, the standard, changed about three years ago to actually be able to model infrastructure. It was one of my first questions I asked when I found out we were using Stix. People laughed at me, but that was a long time ago. Now it actually does model infrastructure. So I was able to get an internal research project called Infrastructure Expression, and we were able to Um, Put some open source tools, we use a lot like Mimicats and um, EdderCap. a lot of things are your common discovery tools that are out there, we just put them in a little bit better area, and then we would translate those results of what we find into sticks. Now I have them translated into an open international standard that anybody can understand, anybody can use in like a playbook or automated response or crossing between that operational and information technology boundaries. But there are some limitations. What we did is internal research. Um, our only visualization is STIG. I'm sure there's other visualizations that may be interesting to do. But that's that's as far as we got for our, for our uh, visualization. We didn't do any machine learning scraping, you know, natural language process scraping, or anything else to get information from technical specifications into STIGs. Um, it was all made for having access to the systems and be able to grab those artifacts that are in an operating system that has power and has network. Um, and there's some bugs and sticks, you know. it's open source code, you know, we, we work on it, but you, know, you have to be a little bit patient because of that. And then again, that physical access, this is for test beds. We have a lot of test beds back here where I work. Um, we can go and put these different commands on these test beds and then have a nice visualization of what the network is doing and what the systems are doing. But you do have to have that physical access. You don't want to do this in an operational system. You can do 1Z, 2Z commands, but not the full-blown tool set. That's another limitation. You would impact operations potentially. Um, we have instrumented some of these systems. So we could tell you what the resources are being used at any time. Um, but you just have to be careful. You don't want to put this on a live system that's being you know relied upon. Um, but 1Z, 2Z commands, you can definitely do it. And the way this is designed is, it's a you can use it all, or you can just use what you need to use. And again, we work in control systems, so we don't have a lot of Microsoft. So all this stuff works on Linux-based systems, embedded systems. We we believe that some of it would work on Microsoft environments. We just never have done it. So um, Stig does you does work on. It's just an application. It's a web-based application. it Will work on multiple systems. But infrastructure expression needs to have. It's designed for embedded systems, it's designed for control systems. So here are the use cases I wanna go through. Uh, we, we developed this, uh, we got done with that project 2021, and we've been using it for the last two years on other projects. So um, the as implemented codified architectures, um, that's our first use case we'll cover. We'll cover how to how to find cyber observables to help you understand the operation of your systems. Um, We were able to refine some of that in our uh, California energy system for the 21st century. That's where we first did machine-to-machine automated threat response. We'd actually reclose breakers, uh, distribution substations from remote locations. That was really a lot of fun. And then also our firmware command and control project, where we started using some virtualized microkernel technology. Uh, One of the Purdue students, Benjamin Bond, was able to help us a lot in that project. So really appreciate his help. Right now, we're using some of our binary analysis capability as an integrity checker for software bill of materials. Uh, you're not going to see a lot of that, but uh, we're just we just finished up the prototype like this week. Um, we're making a presentation for that here really soon for our customer, and we use the codified reference architectures for like bigger information sharing. Like, if you want to know everything that's happening in the solar industry, you want to see if the new exploit or vulnerability or or um, malware coming out is going to have an impact this is where you would use that data set. And then we have a current project right now that's called Zero Trust. It's for the Industrial Internet of Things. What we're trying to do is actually measure, and maybe if we have some great repeatable measures, we can make some metrics using these codified attack surface concepts by putting different protection profiles on top of these systems and actually measuring the effectiveness or not effectiveness of these different techniques, hopefully getting to a trade-off capability. So with that, we'll start in with our as implemented codified architectures. So this is the main reason why we created it. This is what we use it for most of the time. We have a lot of other products that are like command line type of tool sets that really help you with this. If you want to do automated response on your own, there's a something called STAR. One of our interns actually created that, that 2019 time frame. We also have an observable tool set, which will do things like what's happening with uh, networks, what's happening with um, um, your security information event management systems or or syslog type of activities, your your operational logs, and a bunch of other areas. So you can go and play around with some of this other open source area. We have two other applications closely related. Um, Stote is the most current one, where you're gonna take these different objects and sticks and prioritize them based on what your needs are and what's your ability to defend. A lot of our asset owner partners really enjoy that application. So our key is to have evidence-based. Our key is to have things in an international standard so it can be shared. And this is what it kind of looks like. So after running these tools, we get these sticks objects and we can display them in STIG. And that's what you're seeing here. So we can do basic file trees. Here's files, file directories. So here's the names. What are the permissions? What's the size? You can put hashes in there, different hashing that you'd want to do if you want to fingerprint those. Um, But it maintains all that structure again, because again, it's graph, right? So we can do that. Uh, We can go scan for vulnerabilities. We have scripting that'll scan the national vulnerability database, or we use a Greenbone product called OpenVAS. um, But it'll attach the vulnerabilities to the known um, software that's being run. Here's a software object. And it'll also tell you what your mitigation is, and these course of, act, of action objects as well. So the great thing about sticks, this is all JSON code, the relationships, the icons, the edges, everything is JSON code. And inside that JSON code, you can put Python, you can put regular expressions, you can do all sorts of things. We have some massive code inside some of these for our automated response capabilities. Um, The other thing that we can do is start building and putting these things together where you're finding the vulnerabilities and finding related malware. Um, You're seeing a little bit something emerging that looks more like an attack structure here. Um, You can also look at other areas with those specifics about what's actually running. Here's a human machine interface here that's running very secure FTP daemon and we know what version it is. You'll see that pop up again here later. And then on the network side, I hope you guys can see the videos because I have a couple videos in here. Um, Are you seeing that video? Is something moving on your screen? So quiet. Good. Thank you. Thanks, Sonia. But what you're seeing here, this is a solar installation we have out at the site. And so you're seeing a bunch of Schweitzer gear. You're seeing a whole bunch of other areas. you're seeing, you know, which ports and services are connected together to which devices on that network. You, inside that, the details of what opera, what type of protocols are running, what the version of the protocols that are running. Uh, we can put a lot more data in there, but you're going to have your Macs and your IP addresses, your ports, um, you know, very typical things like that that you would like to need. We can do this either by plugging into a SPAN port or using just some PCAP files that were collected. Um, so it's been very very beneficial. This is the STIG application. You're seeing part of it. It's just a query. You can query different things. You can move things around. You can do um, the you know what's connected, what's not. All the icons on top of here that are those are the STIG icons that are related to that to that uh, data standard. Um, so in this one, you have a bunch of ARP addresses. You got some ICMP going, and then um, um, for some meters, and then you have a, a Schweitzer RTAC system. So you can you can tell what it is, and inside that, the data will tell you what what re- release, what revision, and then we can even get further down in that as well. Um, the so that was the as implemented use case for the gathering and finding expected cyber cyber observables is really important. Again, this is for figuring out how is my system behaving? Is it behaving oddly? Um, so things like collecting your memory and your usage, your processes, which processes are running. Again, the ports and services, you've already seen that, the files that are in there. Those are the type of key areas, but we can also use that microkernel technology to ask different things as well. So here's again that HMI running very secure FTP, and there's the version of it. It's also running a Splunk instance. Uh, Splunk was one of my big partners in a lot of the research that we did. Um, and then you can just you can look at other things that are happening, like hey, there's an open SSH here. Oh, I wonder what version that open SSH is. You know, what operating system was that supposed to be running on? You can gather a bunch of information, and as you're going along, you can compare and contrast it to the others. I got a Splunk instance. Oh wait, I also got a Splunk process running. So here's my processes. What are the processes? You can put your other information in there, like you know, a process ID if you need to do an automated response type of capability and kill something. Like I really don't want my very secure FTP to run. I could go find the process related to it and then do a kill. Um, That's the type of information that we can do. This was done on a distribution substation that we have back here that um, a NASA owner provided us we get to use quite quite heavily. And then hardware. Um, I always am yelling at the team. put down that screwdriver because they would love nothing more than to pop cases off of things. And I just, those those big, wonderful test beds I have are provided by asset owners. So there's other ways to do it. There's other ways to find out this information. So with just commands, we can go and figure out memories, BIOSes, um, you know, what's, what is actually on that board? What type of memory are you using? We can even do chassis information and you'll see some of the details in the properties for each one of these icons that are being shown. Again, that's just the STIG, the STIG application. applications making it pretty so you don't have to read a whole bunch of JSON code. But this is all in JSON code that's validated to the STIG standard again. Um, and then on the vulnerabilities, of course, you're going to have a description of the vulnerabilities. You're going to have the CVSS score. The common vulnerability scoring standard will be in here. We also do a thing where we we you know pull out the specific score as well. Um, we do. We have different flavors of how we can do that. Um, but that's really valuable, too, when you're trying to figure out, you know, what, what do I have to worry about? What do I have to work on first? What's my biggest vulnerabilities that I have? So you're starting to see how we can put this together in a little bit of a, a whole architecture. And this is an architecture that is related to one of our test beds that we have. It's very high level because these can get very large when you start enriching them with all the other vulnerabilities and maybe weaknesses or other areas. So, the next one we're going to talk about is where we're trying to put those two different test corpus I have together the big structured threat one and the reverse engineered binaries. Uh, We have a lot of reverse. um, You're going to see one of the most simplistic examples we do of reverse engineering and uh, machine learning to figure out if we have an issue. Um, but then we're going to show you how we could translate those results into sticks, add that to also that infrastructure surface so we have some other deeper details. It's not just a software running. We know which features are in that software. And then uh, we're going to go into a deep dive example of uh, some malware that we analyzed recently and how we can use these type of technologies to go and create some interesting mitigations. So this is our most simplistic machine learning notebook that we've ever done. Um, we took two versions of very secure FTP and we're doing a similarity analysis. We're using a feed neural network on here and you're seeing that everything's nice and labeled. That's not the way it is in the real world. And you're seeing an F1 score of 1, meaning this is a perfect match between this version of very secure FTP and that version of very secure FTP. In the real world, that's not the way it is. You just have these addresses, right? But this is for you know illustrative purposes. And what you're seeing is everything's a perfect match except for these three features sets. And two of them do not have a perfect 1.0 you know, similarity analysis score there. And the other one does exist in one and doesn't exist in the other. Um, So it's a really quick way when you have large data sets, large code, to be able to figure out what's the same and what's not the same. So with that, we can also visualize it in other areas. This is a Discover Flow uh, capability that we have. And again, that graph database allows us to do a lot of these visualizations. This, again, is the very secure FTP. But there's this one thing that's hardly connected and it's called Very Se- very Secure FTP SysUtil Extra. Well, that extra is a Chinese backdoor that's been around for a very long time. It's called the smiley face backdoor because if you put a colon and a right paran on there, it looks like a smiley face. And that's, how you, that's your login and your password to get into this very secure FTP. Um, what you're seeing down here is actually a way to toggle back and forth to the um, to the graph database we have we're using right now graph we're using orient right now for our graph database we're thinking about changing it up um, but we've used other things like if we're trying to run a whole bunch of stuff through limited um, computing power we'll use like network x um, for some memory stores as well but putting it all into a nice graph database really does help us we can look at the individual blocks and we can look at the individual calls but then we have scripts that we can translate it so here's my very secure ftp and then here's that sysutil extra, that's my smiley face back door. And there's all the blocks and all the different branches from the reverse engineered binary that we identified for that subroutine. And then once we have that, we can add that to a nice big referenced architecture if we felt like it. And that's our next use case that we're using this these tool sets on. There's a lot of need for codified reference architectures, especially in control systems. I mean, I would love everybody to allow me to have access to all their equipment and I could go and codify all this stuff every, all the time, but that's not realistic. So things for like the solar industry that's extremely emerging, all these solar grants are happening, they wanna put all these architectures out. It's good to be able to write a codified architecture that would show what's in the realm of the possible. It's not gonna reflect what's as implemented, but it's going to reflect of there's a potential that it's using these type of architectures or other spaces. And that's what this is. We, we did a lot of this work this summer with our interns. Um, here's one of a building management system. You can see it gets really big, even the most. The first versions of it get large. Um, they even get bigger as you're going along. We have a blow up of one of the areas, which is a old ABB. Um, control system that's now Rockwell. Um, You can see all the vulnerabilities associated with it. You can see the details for the vulnerabilities. um, And you can have some observables of how how you would know this was actually being in there. And again, evidence-based that here's what Rockwell says how to fix it. Here's what the ransomware is according to the Rockwell update. And you can get some really good specific information by just, you know, tooling around in the In this, in this code and reading what's in there or linking on the different dynamic links for other areas. And then here's where our wave graph enrichment data comes in. If you look at every single vulnerability, it's just too much. It's just too much data. But the vulnerabilities are grouped into weakness enumerations. And the weakness enumerations also have a hierarchy as well. So with by using the weakness enumerations, we can bundle some of these vulnerabilities together in multiple. Weakness enumerations, and then associate them with the different attack patterns that help you understand which areas of your system you need to protect, and you get a lot better picture of what's happening. This was an example of a bunch of um, inverter-based resources, a bunch of you know things making a DC current, like from a solar or from battery, going to work on an AC system, and we were able to you know get the initial information do that graph traversal, clean up the data a little bit, and we get a lot richer data, a lot more detailed data that you can start doing some prioritization on to figure out which issues you want to work on before other issues. And then our last area that we're working in is codified attack surfaces. Um, I've been hearing about attack surfaces for a long time. and It's usually just someone saying the word attack surfaces. Um, there's a little bit of math behind it, but not too much that I've seen so far. So by putting all this stuff in a graph database, it opens up a whole new world of our capabilities. Um, Benjamin Bond and other interns are working with us on this internal research we're calling Zero Trust. It's a Zero Trust of Industrial Internet of Things. We have a testbed created here. We have other partnerships with other universities that have testbeds that are created. We've pulled the firmware from that. We have uh, We're analyzing it now. Um, but we have codified every one of those end devices, and now we're starting to do the data links between them and just trying to get enough information. We don't want every single PCAP, but we want a representation of what works should be expected. And um actually Benjamin Bond did a lot of this work. I don't know if he's on with us today. If he was able to join us, I don't I didn't look at his class schedule. But Benjamin Bond has been working with us since the firmware command and control days. And he was able to put in an invention disclosure on some new scripting that he did that actually would change some of the information. Right now, our stuff works on TCP, IP, UDP, hardwired communication. Um, He was able to create some stuff that's working more on Wi-Fi and specifically ZigBee, the ZigBee protocols, and create those into structured threats. So we're really happy with that work. Here, you're seeing a tax structure of one of our um hubs inside that uh inside the in, inside of our test bed uh, this was created by Alyssa Taylor from University of Idaho and then a lot bigger data from Benjamin. And then this is from Benjamin's uh poster that he provided. he's collected a lot of data we were able to do a lot more information sharing now, now that we can understand Zigbee and Z-Wave. Um, Z-Wave may be taking over, maybe Zigbee's gonna still remain there. We're not sure on this uh, mesh network looking things for industrial internet things, but it was pretty interesting being able to find that. So we're looking forward to that invention disclosure going forward and hopefully be able to release that into our tool sets as well. So the other concept is this uh, automated applicability and information sharing. And this is where we have this larger test case. So we were asked to look at Black, well, we, lo- we wanted to look at Black Lotus. And we found a bunch of copies of Black Lotus. So we first had an intern go and figure out what is Black Lotus. Let's get some evidence here. So. We really like the ESET guys, girls, whoever they are. We live security. Um, We got that evidence in there. And then Microsoft, of course, had a large announcement about Black Lotus because it impacted their trusted um, programming module support and their embedded systems. And um, we were able to find a whole bunch of indicators based on those reports, a whole bunch of attack patterns, a lot of cyber observables. Again, evidence is key. IP addresses, domain domain names, of course, those can be changed real quickly. The actual software that's impacted, of course, is key. Certificates. And then we were able to enrich it by doing some other techniques. But Black Lotus is part of a bigger operation of what we call bad boots malware. Um, Dr. Shea Wolf, she's the one who termed bad boots. but we had a, another one of our researchers, Brian Beckman. He looked at this stuff, and it really is working on the Unified Extensible Firmware Interface. Remember how you said BIOS earlier? No such thing as BIOS. It's, BIOS has really haven't existed since 1996. All it is is a bunch of UEFI libraries that people put together. Um, yeah, there are you know real-time operating systems you put on top of that, but Anytime you have a piece of software and a chip, it's using a UEFI most likely. Um, Again, our friends at uh, We Live Security, ESET, they did an analysis and they they uh, they figured out that there's probably three million combinations of UEFI libraries, and that's why it's so hard. It's exactly why our adversaries are using it. Um, So we looked at this malware, this this list of malware. We figured out that TrickBoot was part of a larger ransomware scheme. That impacted the satellite modems in uh, Ukraine before the uh, Russian invasion, um, because the stuff is just nasty. I mean, some of it you cannot fix by you know rebooting a system or reloading the firmware. And some of it you have to actually resolder a chip. No one's going to do that. That's we call that a rip and rec- replace cost. Black Lotus is more on the newer type of interfaces, the uh, EFI system partitions. So it can be fixed by reloading firmware. It survives a reboot, power on, power off. But if you reload the firmware, you can remove the Black Lotus Impacts. Um, This is, you know, everybody, oh, what keeps you up at night? This is what keeps me up at night. It's not the ransomware. It's, I mean, it's when they're using the UEFI, because it's so hard to detect and so hard to fix. So Brian Beckman did some work for a use case that we did Again, you're seeing, you know, BIOS or UEFI, because it's all UEFI. There's a nice server here that the solar industry uses widely. Um, and so they brought up a release saying, yeah, we got, we, we want to make sure that everybody's going to be okay with that. So we took some of our, the, those reports that we had, that evidence base, you're seeing some of that view inside of STIG right there, looking at some of the attack patterns in there. You know, we already had some great information. Here's our... You know, static IP address. Here's the software version. Nice static, uh, you know, domain name. Um, what to look for? What we did is we went and we looked for the versions of Black Lotus in open source malware repositories, and we found nine of them. Each of them cost five thousand dollars, but I'm too cheap. We didn't pay for anything. So, um, but we found nine that said they were Black Lotus malware, Bazaar Virus Total type of you know places. And then we ran it through our more advanced reverse engineering at scale capabilities called troglodyte. We're not gonna go into that, but it does do a triple embedding of data flow, abstract syntax trees and control flow graphs, uses different types of machine learning. So we get these nine versions. Of course, they're not named or labeled because that's, nobody does that. And then we ran it through, you know, just how much features did the troglodyte identify and put in that graph database for us. And you're seeing these nine very distinct distributions of features in this these samples of malware. And so then we do a quick similarity heat map. So we're taking all the features in this F1 stamp here and comparing it to 4B and 51 and everything else. So then if it's light, it's a perfect match. That's why you got that asymmetrical confusion matrix looking thing. But F1 related to 4B, eh, you got to disconnect. That's dark. There's not a lot of similarity more related to the other tall areas not so much related to the three stubby areas at the end it's common sense but we do that just to make sure we think we know what the data is ha- was happening with the data we have other visualizations called binary visualizer here we're taking the three stubby things at the end and just by the concentration of the color this is yet a heat map that's based on individual features inside of individual functions you can see that these two here are very closely related, But that third one is a bit different. There's a lot there's a lot things are not quite as similar. they're tr- showing up in that darker color. And then we did the same thing for the three tall, the four tall pieces of malware. These two are very similar. This one eh, kind of similar. This one a little bit similar, but not quite. I'm running through this real fast uh, for the details because this isn't the focus. But we were able to find out other things, like uh, this install. This big installer is putting in, this is really related to this smaller stack here of malware that's supposed to be Black Energy. Um, and we were able to figure that out and find some great matches here. Um, but what we found out when we looked at these two small ones, because I have like 6 million samples of malware sitting someplace in a server with my name on it because my team hates me, um, we were able to figure out that these two things are very related. And they're not exactly Black Energy. They're a keylogger for something called Attor because we can do a quick similarity analysis. So our bottom line is here's the two Attor pieces of malware. These are the three UEFI rootkits or bootkits. These four are installers. And this first installer actually installs this rootkit. We're able to figure that out in just a couple of hours. With these technologies. So it's been really fun working with that. But nobody cares until you make it actionable. So here's a just a very small video of a virtualized microkernel. Brian Beckman did this one. And he's looking for that boot X64 EFI, which is the we know is the impact that the Black Lotus is having, you know, based on the Microsoft reports and other things. So he's taking a good stamp of it, trying to figure out what it looks like, getting some good hashes of it, trying to get some good ideas of what that looks like and getting a course of action, keeping a copy so he can replace it later. He puts it into the STIG um, application, so it's visual. And these are the new actual observations that he's able to find based on that microkernel activity. Again, VMing a microkernel, you can match the operating system, in um, some other areas, I mean, it's pretty powerful. So here's a better picture of, of the different observables that were collected from that activity. And then going through there, you can go and figure out, here's your course of action. We can actually replace that boot for you. Um, so you don't have to reload the full firmware, just replace that one area for you if you could. So those are that was the deep dive. We went through a whole bunch of use cases for as implemented, for reference architectures, for taking binary and translating it into something that you can use, for enriching it with big, huge data sets. But in the future, we have other areas. Um, This graph technology and being able to put something in a structured threat so everybody can do different things with it is really important. Uh, We really like it. And so we have some other proposals hanging out there. Uh, Hopefully they'll get funded at some point. We have some Past references, I have the infrastructure expression-based ones mainly in a nice yellow color, and the other ones are more for the reverse-engineer binaries, and that's what I have for the seminar. I know we covered a lot of really high-level things, but I wanted to show you how you would take these two data sets, really different, different structures, but they're both graph, and we could start playing with them together uh, now that we've been working with them for a while. So.
1: Well, I do see, um, we've got some questions here in the Q and a read it again. Thank you very much for your talk today and your time. We really appreciate it. So do you mind if I just sort of read them out to you? That'd be great. Awesome. Okay. So actually one in the chat, I think I, I will start with that one. Then I'll go to the Q and a. So, um, Rahul Canera, uh, wrote, Infrastructure Graph actually resembles the dependency mapping feature in Azure Migrate. But this one is from a security standpoint, whereas in Azure Migrate, we assess and plan cloud migrations based on the dependency mapping. So I guess it really isn't a question, but if you'd like to comment on that, you can.
0: You know, back in 2015, 16, when we first started using Graph, I mean, that's exactly who was using Graph all the big entities that are using cloud or using um other you know data collection big data sets so the uh, google and apple and um you know um amazon all the all the big ones were using that i mean that's and that's why that's how we started using graphs like wow they're using it they're doing this stuff with it you know how can we apply this type of technology to go and use it for something that's very specific to what we want. Um, when sticks changed from XML to JSON, um, our head researcher, Jed Hale, took one look at that and said, it's JSON now, it's Dr. that I'm gonna put in a graph. I'm not gonna deal with it any other way because um, my team really didn't want to program in JSON and they really didn't want to program in XML. But putting it in a visual, doing that was really great. Um, my team would rather do a little bit more embedded programming. It wasn't there, you know, that's not where we're experts in. So that's really helped us too. Um, we've gotten a lot better at JSON code, I have to admit. But yeah, when we started this off, we didn't know it. But yeah, that's that's how we started. That's a, that's a great observation. And that's why um, both um, Azure and um, AWS is really interested in these technologies. I have partnerships with them. So I'm hoping to turn the corner on that and get, a new proposal, a new concept together with some of these techniques.
1: Awesome. All right. So now I'll actually go on to questions. Um, Solomon Sonia asks, what platform was used for the reverse engineering? Was that done
0: by hand? God, no, no. Um, again, our main researcher, Jed Hale, uh, we have a team of reverse engineers. We have probably the most, the biggest, God, <laughs> group of reverse engineers that focus on control systems you can imagine we've been doing this since 2009 heavily we were doing it before 2009 um, but you can never we call it in titanium because we're a lead lab for nuclear you can't get enough reverse engineers to reverse engineer by hand and oh my god what a horrible task that there doing something and oh now it's doing this and now it's doing that the reverse engineering tools that we're using right now we have one product that's pseudo open source. There's export control issues because the U.S. government doesn't want their automated reverse engineering tools out to foreign entities. Um, but that uses anger and vex. And then the, the intermediate representation is vex. We put that into the graph database. That's what you saw in the very secure FTP example. Um, Then we also, and we kept everything that we can open source. And we have shared that with universities that we're partnered with um, we've shared that with other national labs. Um, we have licensed it to one provider who's also using Graph um, in their cybersecurity needs. Um, so it's, it's gotten, and we're using it. We're, we're still using Act annotated, translated, disassembled code. Uh, we still use it. And we use it multiple, time, multiple times every week. The other reverse, we, we have a lot of reverse engineering tools. We have something called Travolta because we're so bad at naming things. <laughs> Travolta is a mapping between the VEX intermediate representation and the binary ninja, high, medium, low intermediate languages. All of them going to graph databases, um, so that we had a forward path to do our troglodyte. We call that we call one of our highest capability um, products troglodyte. Um, these are based on static binary machine code, but when we get to troglodyte, we got data structures to do with here's where the data starts, here's where the data is used, here's where the data is changed. And so while it's still static, we can flow through all that data. And even the Travolta thing, I could do a lot of string hunting type of capabilities on the Travolta data store as well. Um, so no, it's not done by hand. That's a long answer, I'm sorry. Uh, no, you're
1: good, there. thank you. All right, so question number two from Rahul again. How do these evidences and data get utilized by companies? And also the details collected by STIX can be utilized by forensic report generating tools like autopsy, et cetera, to create extensive reports.
0: Yeah, that STIX is extremely data rich. And what we've been able to do with it is, is unbelievably data rich. We use it for so many things. Uh, we first, the first reason we used it was for machine-to-machine automated threat response. And we were doing machine-to-machine automated threat response on distribution substations, where your response times mentor is measured on the cycle clock of that relay. So that's really tough stuff to do. Um, but we were able to do it. We were able to prototype it. Uh, we use sticks because I can take any sticks bundle and give it to any security information event management system. We've used Splunk. We've used ForeScout. We use Fortinet, we've used ELK, of course the open source, the Elasticsearch stuff, Logstash, um, part of ELK. Um, I know I'm Q Radar from IBM. I mean, we've used all that type of stuff and and sticks allows us to go back and forth so we can understand it. Our asset owners that we are partnered with, they made it very clear. We don't want you guys going and messing up our embedded systems without telling us what you're doing at the big security operations centers. And these are the, you know, there's they're spending millions upon millions of dollars staffing these security operations centers. I've been able to visit a lot of those. Very impressive. Um and they don't they don't want you doing stuff in the blind without sharing it across to their other cybersecurity researchers. You, you, you don't have enough uh, cybersecurity researchers or cybersecurity analysts out there to keep them in the in the blind, right? You have to tell them what you're what you're doing. So that's how we really use Sticks. When it comes to like forensics, uh, we were using we were using Lime. What were we doing now? Volatility. We were using volatility in Lime. We were pulling some things out of um, some memory areas. We were doing that. We got some really great results uh, at the time we were doing it. Volatility was changing from version two to version three, so we had changed the data structure, so we had some issues with that. And there wasn't a lot of plugins for volatility three, um, so we just kind of went ah. Uh, we're going to put that on the back burger, but you're absolutely right. You can get some great forensics information. So instead of doing that volatility, the Lyman, the volatility stuff, we were doing just a let's just create a VM and let's just do this microkernel technology. We were we made a microkernel for something else. Really didn't like it, but this is a great use case for it. I can get, grab I can grab observables. I can see what's happening on a system. Um, I can recreate things. Um, we like that. We, I don't know where we're going to go with that yet, but I think it has a great potential.
1: Wow. Okay, great. Thank you. And then Solomon asked a question that he found the answer to and thanked you for the reference papers. But the question is, I'm interested in the binary analysis platform you mentioned for code similarity. Do you have papers you could reference on that research? And is there a way I could reach out to you for more questions? Then at the bottom, he or she, I'm sorry, I'm not sure, thanks you for the references of the papers. Is that the slide that we're looking at? Yes. Okay,
0: perfect. Yeah, there's more to come. We have more publications in the works. Um, I started mentoring interns about five years ago. Um, Right now I have five interns. One of them is Benjamin Bond at your school. Nice. Um, Boilermaker. Yeah, it's... yeah uh, he's been doing some great work for us and you know i benjamin did put in an invention disclosure this last um session um i've had other interns put in invention disclosures i've had interns um use our data because we have these massive data sets and these very interesting techniques we're using for their dissertations that's where i get the most benefit um with working that i mean the, the reason why we want to outreach and to as many universities as possible because we we do want these partnerships. Our number one reason we want those partnerships is because of workforce development, getting good people. And one way to prove that you have somebody that's going to fit in your team is by working with them, right? So internships are the way that we do that. Um, we have been fortunate. We have hired a lot of the interns I was able to bring on. Uh, we, we have a lot of different um, mentors for that. It's not just me ever. It's not a single point of failure. We're pretty serious about it. So I would definitely um, hope that from this presentation that we have some people who want to work with us, maybe become interns with us. Um, if there's other you know, staff or faculty that want to do research and they're interested in the, these techniques, we're we're all ears because this well, is the way we make these products work. Rita,
1: you may or may not be aware of this, but we have uh, Luis and Tim from Idaho National Lab coming here next week for our career fair on the 12th of September from 7 to 9 in the Convergence building, y'all, in the lobby if everybody's listening, and then the student information session on the 13th in the lobby of Convergence at eight thirty in the morning. So we will have fabulous representatives from Idaho National Lab wanting to talk to our fabulous students. So Great point and thank you for that, Rita. And I think we've got one more actual question from Jen Howe. How to deal with physical dangers, include natural disasters such as fires, floods, civil unrest, utility outages, theft or vandalism of
0: hardware assets. I'm an old control system engineer. It's always triple redundant. You put things in different places. I know you don't like that answer. But that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Um, but in cybersecurity, especially in control system, you have to think about there's, you know, the used to be the buzzword, cyber, physical, cyber, physical. It's a way of life, right? You do have a physical act at, you do have a physical asset. That physical asset can be damaged many different ways. We have done studies on electromagnetic pulse impacts, um, impacts to the power grid for geomagnetic disturbances. There are a lot of things that can impact what's happening and you can't ignore it. You have to, you have to address it, right? So the vast, the vast majority of the work I've been doing is with people in the energy sector. I've gone to many, many, many facilities. Uh, They do have a lot of, you know, gates, guns, and guards, locks and keys for the physical protection, but it's still um, not always enough. Um, I've, in this presentation, I showed you some stuff about EMV and stats. It's this web-based um, prior, it's a it's a rank order list for risk, but it's a rank order list. For, I mean, that's what it is. So you we actually have another proposal that people are asked, talking to me about that they want to put all these different risks to certain things together and try to analyze it together. Again, it's graph underneath so that you can have a nice, you know, some really good data analytics that you can do with that. Um, right now, it's tuned for um, common vulnerabilities and enumeration. Um, common vulnerability exposure, common weakness enumeration. That's what it's tuned for. We had a project that did a little bit more software quality type of stuff. But there's no reason you can't put, um, here's here's my uh, substation. Here's a rifle. What can they do? And you can put those different outcomes in there in a rank order and play a lot of what-if games. That's what it's designed for.
1: Great. Thank you. So uh Rahul just thanked you again for your insight. Interesting concept and supplied in the tool too. He will dive more into that, see what he can pick up. And then Solomon asked if he can reach out to you. And I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to give out your email address, but can they connect with you on LinkedIn? <laughs>
0: I go to LinkedIn at least once every three years okay. I'm yeah, horrible. I add that as much as so I, I I am horrible but really put your names in you know go to the INL website put your names in as an intern if you're interested yes you can email me um but I can't promise I'm going to see it um that's just the way it is but if you you know if you're if your persistence I, I probably will see it and and you know if you come with a with an interesting concept or an idea after looking at this stuff, what direction you might want to take it. That's what really gets us interested because um, when supporting these other people that have gotten dissertations using our data, um, they were doing things that were like, yeah, that's really cool. I'd like to do that, but it's not in my scope, right? And that's really provided huge value back to us, back to we understood what you can do with this data more than what we would have just sticking with the scope of our project that we had. So we're open to that.
1: Fantastic. Well... Again, Rita, thank you very much. Tell Eleanor I said hello when you see her. She's hey. a dream. And you did a great job. We really appreciate it. I'm glad we were able to have you uh, give a talk to our students. And uh, thanks again. And I look forward to meeting the INL reps next week. And maybe uh, some of us from Sirius will be in Idaho in the near future. And we can meet you in person. Yeah, we'd love to have a visit. So thank great. you so much for thanks this opportunity. So much. Thanks, everyone. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.